Yeah. You know, I, I looked at death completely different after the incident with my son. And, you know, I was a CNA for 11 years. I took care of people and I did a lot of hospice. And so it, it made me look at what they were about to go through completely different. And, you know, when I, when I worked in um, a nursing home, we would have a lot of family members that would bring their loved ones in there and just leave them there. And they would end up dying alone. And I, I couldn't imagine that, like, no one should have to go through that, you know? So uh, I would go into their rooms and I would close the door and I would sing to them. celebrate those who have overcome great adversity in their lives and we examine the tools and techniques by which people create lives that feel like thriving. I'm your host Dr. Jerry Sunshine Novak and with me today is a a really fascinating situation, fascinating guest today because um, if you go to episode 14 of this podcast uh, I interviewed a friend of mine named Ruben Gonzalez and we had a really heartfelt and touching conversation, uh, largely around the loss of his daughter. Uh, and I got a lot of really good feedback about that, uh, that episode. A lot of people enjoyed listening to that. And so today uh, I am talking to Rebecca Gonzalez, who is married to Ruben, who she herself has uh, overcome a great deal of adversity in her life. And the two of them together, after overcoming great hardship, have created uh, a new sort of like fruitful and fulfilling life together, which I find to be a really fascinating story. And Rebecca has graciously agreed to share it with us. And uh, aside from that, she's a, a parent and she's a member of our online communities uh, on the Facebook pages. So welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for coming on and agreeing to talk to us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. I, I'm thrilled to have it. And and what I was hoping you might do is, you know, uh, it's interesting that you and Ruben both have quite a history of struggle and adversity right. and that you and Ruben are spouses, you're married, but a lot of your struggle and adversity was not as a married couple. You guys came together later. Right. So uh, I was hoping you might kind of jump in and talk to us about anything you want to share about who you are, where you come from, and we'll just sort of play it by ear from there. Well, um, I'm from St. George, Utah, and I have, there's uh, 11 siblings or so in my family. We, I come from a, a large family. Um, only four of those are, all three of them are full-blooded, but um, when I was little, parents divorced, and, you know, my mom, uh, she met somebody and he wasn't um, the greatest person and ended up leaving us um, with my dad. And uh, she went to Reno and, you know, got married and all that kind of stuff. And we stayed in St. George and it was, it was a really, really hard time um, for me because 
you know, I was seven years old when this happened and we lived in a trailer park out in a little town called Ivan's. And that's kind of where everything started to um, go wrong because uh, there was a, an older man who was, he, he kind of invited all of the kids to his house and he would give them candy and he would, you know, do all of this stuff. And this is what we now call grooming. And I didn't know that back then. And um, so he, you know, molested almost all of the little girls in our neighborhood, including me and some of my sisters. And I didn't think anything was wrong with it because, you know, my father was doing the same thing. So it was, it's like, okay, when you're, you know, that young, you think it's, it's okay. This is normal. This is what happens. And and stuff and and then I remember one day just looking out the window and seeing a whole bunch of cop cars at this man's house and I'm like what the heck is going on and you know I find myself in a room with somebody and they're asking me questions and you know and uh, that's kind of when I figured out you know something is just not right it was really really wrong um and so um, it just kind of took off from there. My, my father, um, didn't stop. And in fact, he, um, would abuse me and my older brother a lot and especially my older brother, but the beatings and stuff were, I mean, anything he could get a hold of, um, he would hit us with. And to this day, I have a fear of mousetraps. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because if we did not clean the house or do something, he would get these mouse traps and threaten to put our hands and our feet in these mouse traps. And it's one of those the older ones where you flip the metal thing back, and if you you know it just snaps. And um, and so I still have that fear of those. And um, so you know, kind of going forward, um, he he just wasn't a very good person. And um, my, when my stepmother came into my life, she was a mail order bride. He picked her out of a catalog from the Philippines. And I remember seeing her and uh, in this catalog. And so when he went to the Philippines and he came back, she wasn't with him. And so I was really upset because I was so excited to meet her. And, you know, when, and then he left and ended up coming, she came back with him and I, I had, you know, shortly after that, I had a sister and then, you know, two brothers and and stuff like that. And so things were, you know, a little bit okay, but he, he still had this anger problem. And then he started abusing my mom. I still, I call her my mom. She's still my mom, but I love her to death. Um, But, and so that's kind of where the whole abuse started in my life was from him. Um, when I was 16 or not 16, when I was 14 years old, um, we were on our way to Oregon and, uh, we're in a motorhome and it broke down the side of the road and he, um, there was a, a day where he was trying to force me on him. And I said, no, I did not want to get off me, you know, whatnot. And he just kept doing it. And I ran into a gas station and called my uncle Johnny that lived in Las Vegas and he came and got me 
And that's kind of where everything just turned upside down for me because I, um, I was bounced from family to family. And I, I wanted my mom, my mother is where I wanted to go was to be with my mom. And I missed her so, so much. And uh, so I, I went to California and I stayed with my aunt and uncle and um, I kind of helped take care of my uncle. He was a quadriplegic and, you know, um, it was, it was hard for me growing up in a strict LDS home. My family is LDS yeah. and uh, there was a lot of things that I was not used to. And um, there was, you know, I'm not a racist person and there were certain people that I was not allowed to hang out with, you know, because of color and whatnot. And um, it's just, I learned a lot from them and, and being in California and whatnot. And that's kind of where I, my caretaking kind of came in. And was that in Loma Linda in California? Is that where you were? I was in Tustin, California. Okay, because Loma Linda is a big LDS kind of. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was in, it was in uh, Tustin, California. Okay. So when, when things didn't um, go quite well there, I was then um, sent to Las Vegas to live with my cousin, Missy. And, you know, it was hard at first. And, um, but then I went to school, I made friends, I got a job, I, you know, um, but a part of me still wanted to be with my mother. Sure. And so I, we went to uh, St. George uh, to visit family. And I remember that I got to a fight with my aunt Alex, who was the mother of my cousin Missy. And she left me in St. George. She didn't take me back to, to Las Vegas. And then one day she shows up at my stepmother's house where I was at and she drives me to Gunnison, Utah, where my mother was. And she drops me off there. So I was like, you know, I was happy because I was with my mom and what, you know, and, but things just kind of started going downhill from there. Um, thank you. Um, my, you know, I, I told my mom that I was going to do this and I, I told her that it wasn't going to really be about her, just about certain things and way, like just the way things went down and where I ended up because of, you know, of certain things that happened in my life. But my mom was addicted to meth. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I remember that, you know, one day that we got into a fight and uh, she had slapped me in the face and I, she kicked me out. And so I went and lived with my really good friend, Bo and his mom. And I was still going to school. I was still doing, I was doing really well and, you know, um, didn't have any bad grades, nothing. But there was one, one day that she came in, she says, I want you to come home. And I said, no, I don't want to go home. And she then called the police on me because I didn't want to go home. And, um, the officer, basically told me that if I did not go home, that I was going to go into a, a youth facility. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I basically said that I wasn't going to go home. And my mom looks at the officer and says, you can have her. Mm -hmm. And I was then taken to Richfield and was put into a youth center. And um, a couple of days later, I had a 
wonderful lady. Her name is Tara Franson. She came and interviewed me. It was kind of like a little interview and asked me if I wanted to come and live with her. And I said, yes. So I went to a little town called Monroe mm -hmm. in Utah and she was my foster mom. And I then met my foster dad and, you know, they, they uh, adopted two children of their own and um, they were such a great family. And I still, they're on my Facebook. I still talk to them every once in a while. And it was, it was, you know, a little hard getting used to being there. And um, again, they were an LDS family. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to go back to church with them. I was trying to, you know, I was singing in the choir and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and it, it turned out to be a lot better than I had expected it to be. Mm -hmm. um, but when I turned 18, I decided to go back to my mom. Mm -hmm. And I was the first one in my family to graduate high school. I still, you know, did that. And that was a huge accomplishment for me. Um, I then went to St. George and, you know, I was a, got a job as a CNA, went to school, got that. And um, then I, I got pregnant with my son. I was 18 years old hmm. and was pregnant. And I did not, I did not know what was in store for me because my mom struggled and I knew that I was going to struggle as well. Mm -hmm. So I went back to Gunnison and I ended up giving birth to my son and it was hard. It was so, so hard. And I didn't have a job. I was, um, you know, living off the state. I was getting wick. I, you know, every little thing I could get. And it, there was a time that I ran out of formula and I called my dad and I asked him, I says, could you please just send me some money? And he refused to, told me to go to the hospital and get food for my son. And I, I knew that I had to change something because I could not live like this. Right. And, you know, so I went back to St. George and started, you know, working again and, and whatnot. And, um, and then I met someone and I got pregnant with my second son. And then I, of course, moved back to Gunnison. And, um, but this time, you know, I had my CNA and whatnot. And so I was working at the hospital there in Gunnison and um, until my son came, Kason. And uh, so, um, I, uh, I ended up moving to Provo, Utah and lived with my cousin Joey and his wife and you know things were great I was working it was I got my own house and things were just starting just to look really really good you know single mom two boys and then you know I was um, dating my ex-husband at the time and uh, Bladen um, had to have surgery on his mouth and so Huh? As your oldest son? My oldest son is Bladen. Yeah, okay. my oldest son is Bladen. He's the one that's in the army right now. But, um, all right, yes. Very, yeah, very proud mother, right? Of, of him. He's he's done really really well for himself. But he had to have surgery on his mouth because when he, he was little, he had um, he had fallen and knocked a tooth back up into his gum, and that tooth had died. Mm 
So they had to go and clean that tooth out and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I was getting him ready for surgery and uh, we went to Kmart and we got some slippers and uh, Bladen picked out these Scooby-Doo slippers and Kaysen picked out these Cookie Monster slippers. And he was so excited about these Cookie Monster slippers that he wore them throughout the store. He flipped out when I took them off because we had to pay for them. But, you know, he wore them to bed and he wore them that next day that I took him to the babysitter's house. And, you know, so I took Bladen and got his little surgery thing done and, and came home. And, and, you know, of course, I went and got Kaysen. And um, I, I was going to put him down for a nap. And um, I had gone to the fridge. He liked these drinkable yogurts. So I got a sippy cup and, and went and got a strawberry drinkable yogurt thing and, and put it in. And we were sitting at the fridge and he was pointing to, I had a program of my great grandfather, um, Joe his, it was his uh, program from his funeral on my fridge. And Kaysen was pointing at it. And as many times as I've had him up to that fridge with me, he's never done that before. He never did that. And I was like, yeah, that's Grandpa Joe. And, you know, so I went and put him in his, in his playpen to go to sleep. And uh, I went downstairs to do some laundry and I come back up and he got out of his playpen. And he was standing on top of the dresser and I flipped out like, oh my gosh, my child just got out. He's going to fall. He's, you know, just panicking that something horrible is going to happen. So I put him back in his playpen and I pushed the playpen back so he could not get out. Um, I then went and laid on the couch and I ended up falling asleep. Um, my... I woke up to my ex-husband saying, Becca, Kaysen isn't breathing. I panicked, I grabbed him, I and and he wasn't, he was just limp and you know, and I was trying to stick my finger in his mouth to clear his airway to see if there was something he was choking on, and there was there was nothing, and I'm trying to do CPR and not panic at the same time. And you know, it's I was trained to do this for so many years, CPR, I know how to do it. But when it's your child, it's like you, you, you panic and everything that you've learned just kind of, you forget it. Um, so I'm on the phone uh, with 911 and I'm trying to, you know, to bring him back and a cop comes in and, and I am like begging him, please save my son, please, you know, um, and my son was only, was 18 months old when this happened. And so they take me out of the house, but they leave Bladen in there, mm -hmm. watching everything that they're doing to him. And I didn't know that he was still in there. I, um, they put me in the truck and I see them carry case out and put him in the ambulance and I am fighting these cops. And I mean, hitting them to try to get to my son and they take off. So they put me in the cop car and I go to the hospital and, and um, they put me in a room and I have somebody that comes in and 
is trying to talk to me and I, I'm just not even paying attention. I'm not there. I'm just waiting to find out what is going on with my son. And the doctor comes in and he said, you know, we did everything that we could, but we couldn't save him. And so we're going to get him ready for you and you can come back and you can hold him until it's time to go. And I just, I couldn't believe the words that were being told to me, like, my son is dead. Are you kidding? Like, how do you, how do you process that? And so I, they're like, you, you know, he has a breathing tube coming out of his mouth. You can't touch it. You have to leave it there. Just don't remove anything that's on him. So they put me in a wheelchair and they give me some medication to calm me down because I'm freaking out. And they take me back to him and and he's in a blanket and I I just hold him. For hours, I just sat there holding him. And my family um, from Gunnison drove up and was with me. And um, I I was there, but I wasn't there. I just, I wasn't. And, you know, that whole situation was hard, but what was the hardest for me was when my mother made the decision that it was time for me to go. And I was not handing case over at all. So I get my mother on one side of me. I can't remember who it was on the other side of me and they pry my hands away and somebody comes and takes my child from me. And I think that was the hardest part for me with letting go. And I couldn't. And um, so I, uh, I was, I was fighting them as well and trying to get out of the wheelchair and trying to, I was hitting people and, you know, and whatnot. And, um, the, the police officer came in and said that they were going to, you know, have to put me in handcuffs if I didn't settle down because I was going berserk. So they ended up, you know, taking me home and, and I went and, and got bladed and, and it was just, you know, weird things just around the house started happening and and to me it was like I know he's there like the tv would turn off or something and I'm not kidding and it's you hear it all the time and you really don't believe it until it happens to you but um a cup of water fell over and um the toilet but it was just just weird things and so I knew that he was still there I knew he was and I, and that, that yogurt that I was telling you about that I poured, I could smell it in my house. I smelt it everywhere I went, everywhere. And so um, I was trying to, uh, you know, now that when I got home, all of his stuff was gone. All of his stuff, his blanket, his, um, the stuff that was inside of his playpen, everything was gone because I was told they were treating it as a homicide. And 
until they could, you know, do further investigation. That's just kind of what they defaulted to. Um, so when I had some lady from um, the hospital show up and she brought me this box that it was in the shape of a heart and I opened it and, and I had forgotten that there was a lady that came in and took molds of his hand mm -hmm. and his foot and me holding his hand. And this is what she brought to me as a gift and the blanket that I held him in. And there was plaster on the blanket and whatnot. Um, and so it was, you know, a great thing for me, for me to have. And um, I got a call from the detective who said that, you know, they finished with the autopsy and everything. And, um, and that his, his um, biological father had called the police wanting an investigation done on me and my ex-husband saying that he thinks that we killed him. And I, I was just horrified. Yeah. You know, this is, I, I'm having to go through the loss of, of my child. And now you're telling me that I'm being accused of, of this and whatnot. Yeah. He said, well, I told him where to go and how to get there. And if you have any other, you know, for the problems with him, you let me know. But with our investigation, we know that it was not a homicide and, you know, it was just an accident. So what had happened with Case was he, um, he had gotten out again of his playpen and he fell. Normally, like where I put the playpen, there was a closet door and normally this closet door would cave in and he would have just, you know, gone straight down. But I had a box of diapers behind this door. And so when he went down, he got stuck mm -hmm. and the bar of the playpen caught him by the neck and he just, he died from asphyxiation from, you know, the hanging. And, um, and I, it, it took a long time for me to process, you know, what, what had happened and that he was no longer there. And, and, uh, I, I remember, and, you know, I know that my sister would remember this, but um, I was having, I would have breakdowns all the time. And I had one of my sisters tell me that I needed to get over it mm -hmm. because I still had Bladen and he needed me. That stuck with me for so long. And it still does to this day because you can't tell somebody, especially a mother who just lost her child to get over it. Right. And when you haven't been through it yourself, you don't know, you don't know what this feels like. And um, the only other person who really lost a child in our family was my great grandmother, right. you know? So I, I went through this dealing with it on my own. I, I didn't have any counseling. I didn't have anyone to, I mean, I could call my mom, but she, there's, she can't relate. And so when you don't relate to a situation, you don't know how that other person feels. And so I, you know, I moved to Delta and, you know, when I moved out of that house that he, that he died in, I, uh, I went back in after everything was gone. 
I went back in just to kind of, you know, do my little final goodbye. And I walked into the kitchen and the light was flickering. Mm -hmm. And I never had any problems with the lights in that house, but it was just flickering. And I stood there and just watched it. And to me, I felt like it's my son saying, I'm okay, you know, but not. And the moment my ex-husband stepped foot in that house, it stopped. Mm. So um, I moved to Delta. Well, it's Deseret. Um, it's a little town um, in Utah. And, um, you know, my we have the funeral and 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 he's my son is currently buried in in, uh, in Hinkley, Utah, and it was like maybe ten minutes from where I lived. So I was going to that cemetery every single day, every day, and um, just to check up on him and make sure that it, you know that he was okay and and whatnot. And um, you know, mind you, so when we had his funeral. I dressed him in a white suit, but I put those cookie monster slippers that he loved so much on him. So, you know, like Ruben, he has a thing with baby Yoda and Sophie. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, mine is cookie monster. That's, I, I collect everything that's cookie monster. And so that's my happy memory with my son. Um, so, you know, shortly after that, I got married and I, you know, ended up having two sets of twins. Mm. And I, you know, gave birth to my first set which was uh, two boys and then a boy and a girl. Mm. And, um, but the marriage was, it was not good at all. Um, I was put through abuse on that one as well. And, uh, and I ended up leaving. And I, I think that's one of, my greatest regrets is, is leaving the way that I did because I felt that if I stayed, it wasn't fair to the kids to continue to see this abuse and, you know, hear it and whatnot. And so in my mind, I, I thought it would be better for me to leave. And I regret that, that decision every single day. Um, because it's been over 10 years since I've seen my other four children. And, and it wasn't that I was a horrible mom. It was that I had an ex-husband who was very vindictive. And everyone thinks in the state of Utah, they're always for the mom. But you know, in this case, it just, it was about who you knew and how much money you had. But, you know, in the end, I I ended up getting my oldest son, Bladen. And um, and so, you know, I ended up uh, meeting somebody else and we got married and, you know, really, really fast. And he served in the army as well, had tremendous PTSD. And when he would get mad, he would just see red. And then the anger would come out and you couldn't stop him at all. Um, so when I was, you know, being beaten by him as well, and Bladen would come in and try to, I mean, there was a time that Bladen came in with a sword. I mean, it was an actual real sword 
defending me, telling him, get off my mom. And, you know, I knew then, okay, we, we have to, you know, um, we have to change this. I, I can't do this anymore. So I, I, uh, ended up leaving him and, you know, it, again, I was at being a single mom and it was hard. I was, you know, I got a really good job at a law firm and whatnot. And I was doing Uber and Lyft, you know, and I was working all the time, all the time. And all I could focus on is, is I need to work and to bring in this money so I can give my son the life that I never had. But, you know, now looking back on it, I missed all that time with my son. And now I, I question, was it worth it? Because he isn't here anymore. And after Bladen left for the army, you know, we wrote letters back and forth and, and uh, there's a lot of heartfelt letters that I wrote to him apologizing to him for not always being there, for always working, always, you know, um, just doing something. And, but this, this kid was just, you know, he had been through tremendous hardship as well because of the abuse from my, my um, first ex-husband and um, him dealing with losing Kaysen and being in there and watching it. I mean, Bladen blamed himself for so long because he got into that playpen and tried to pull Kaysen out, mm. pull him back, and, but he couldn't because Kaysen was so much heavier than him. And um, so he blamed himself a lot because of that. But, you know, through all the hell that I had been through, it was like things were starting to look up. And I mean, I bought my first house in Utah and, you know, everything that, that I thought couldn't be possible, I made possible. And I, I had to change my way of thinking first because my father put me through complete hell. He did growing up. And then I realized one day that I'm not going to allow him to win anymore. Yeah. I'm not. I'm going to um, let what he did to me go. I'm not going to be that victim. I don't, I don't want to, you know, give him that power knowing that he, right. he hurt me right. in that way. Right. And then with, even if he doesn't know, you know, even if he doesn't know, this is one of the things I see so often is like people and myself too. I, I had to fight through this in my own life. But when somebody mistreats you for a long time when you're young, yeah. And then even when you're away from them, even when you move away or you're on your own, if you still continue to mistreat yourself, if you continue to not allow yourself anything, you know, if you don't allow yourself to rest, you don't allow yourself to enjoy things, you don't allow yourself to have healthy relationships, whether the other person knows it or not, you're still giving them all that power. Right. You're right. still living in a way 
that's in reference to them. And mm -hmm. so, and, and a lot of people will, will get out of a situation like that and try to do the opposite. Well, living in the opposite is still in reference to the person who mistreated you. It's still giving them power, right? right. There's no, um, ex like no, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Substitution for getting out of a situation like that and figuring out how to create from a clean slate, right? That's the only way that you take the power away from them is to create right. what you want, whether without it, you know, without any concern at all, whether it looks like what you had with them or whether it's the opposite of what you had, it just doesn't matter. Right? You know, and, it, and it's true. I, I found myself in a lot of, you know, just with, with dating and whatnot that I would revert back to that behavior of being treated horribly and um, the name calling and the, you know, it's, I mean, yeah. it, it was just, it was really, really bad. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a time when I was uh, at work, um, when I lived in, in Deseret and uh, I, I had just, it was just a horrible day. And I knew that it, one of my breakdowns was about to happen. And so I went to my boss and said, I need to leave. I drove to the cemetery and I went to my son's grave and there was nobody there. And I, went and I just, I hugged my son's headstone and I just screamed. I screamed as loud as I could and I cried and I said I was sorry. And just, I mean, when something that traumatic happens to you, you just, all of the what ifs I could have, all, you know, you, you blame yourself. Um, and so, everything that had been building up, I was just letting out. And after I was done, I felt a little better. I was like, okay, mm -hmm. I can do this. I can do this. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and it wasn't easy because again, I didn't have anyone to really talk to that could relate. I had to figure out how to deal with this, how to go through life now without my son, how to, you know, it's, you know, a part of me died that day. A part of me got buried with him in that casket. A part of me, I mean, you know, there was a, a time that my mother, um, she pointed out a picture of me and she says, uh, I want to know where that girl is. Where's my daughter in that picture? I says, you want to know where she is? I said, she's in that ground with her boy. That's where she is. She's dead because she died the day that her son died. That's where she is. And it, it changes you. Everything about you, I mean, everything about your life, it's just, I was so paranoid then because my worst fear came true of losing a child. And now I'm just terrified that something else is going to happen to, you know, my other son. And so um, I would I would constantly go and make sure that he was still breathing. Or when my son wanted to, you know, um, when he felt like he was old enough to go to school by himself, you know, 
he's a, he's a big boy now and he wants to, you know, get on his bike and ride to school. And it wasn't that far. And I still had that hard time of letting go. And so I'm like, okay, you can go. Little did he know I was right behind him in my car, you know, going as slow as I could and followed him to the school to make sure that he was okay. Um, or just when, when Bladen wouldn't answer the phone, I would drive home to make sure that he was okay and he was just sleeping. And, you know, it, everything about you changes. It really, really does. But, you know, through, through all the hell that I've been through and, and with Case and, and, and whatnot, I, I came to realize that things happen for a reason. Even though we may not know what that reasoning is, one day we will. And, you know, I'm not going to go through life as a victim and I need to be dependent on pills to get me through the day and, you know, and whatnot. I'm mm -hmm. going to take what happened to me and turn it into something positive. Turning, you know, losing my son, losing Kason was by far the hardest thing that I've ever had to go through. It was complete. I mean, losing a child is what I call um, hell on earth. It, it truly is. But I decided that I was going to take that and turn it into something positive and help other people that have maybe lost a child and know that, you know, it's going to be okay. You never get over it. You right. just learn to live with it. You learn different things and it, it becomes a new life for you. And, you know, so that's kind of what I, I did with, with Ruben when we moved here. And I really didn't know the full extent of, of Sophie and her diagnosis. And I've never been around a child that had cancer. And, you know, I thought, you know, what happened, it was going to, she was going to be okay. And, and so when, you know, she was at home on hospice and whatnot, I, he told me, he, he said, I, I don't think I can, I can do this. I don't think I'm, I'll be able to get through this and, you know, I'll really need you. And, and I said, it's okay because I'm strong enough to hold both of us up. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. So it's, you know, I, you know, the day that Sophie passed away, it was flashbacks of when I lost Kason just was just oh, popping in my mind, you know, um, and I never thought that I would have to relive something like that again, mm. but I did. And we, you know, every day said, you know, it's, it's a struggle, you know, I still have my own struggles and I, I don't break down as much as I do, um, as I used to, but I still do on occasions. Mm -hmm. Um, but I still celebrate his birthday every year. Like with Sophie, I, everything that I do as a tradition for me and Bladen, I now do with Ruben and with Sophie. And, you know, when Christmas comes, Bladen used to always get, I mean, he still does get, say, a gift from Kason. And so this year, this past year, 
you know, I, I didn't know how that was going to be perceived with the other kids, but I decided that, you know, with talking to Ruben, let's do that. Let's see how this goes. And if it doesn't go well, we just won't do it anymore. But I got a gift for each one of them from Sophie and gave it to them and told them, you know, before I gave it to them, that this is what I have done since casey has been gone and wanted to know if they would like to do that as well. And, you know, it, it was perceived with the greatest response. And so it's kind of, you know, a tradition now that what we're going to continue to do, but um, it's, you know, through all of the abuse and, and um, losing my son and I, uh, I'm surprised that I am where I am today. Yeah. I really am. I'm I'm shocked that I am because, you know, I when I was in in St. George, I I uh, had a tumor, and I was uh, I woke up in the ICU. And I was unconscious for like three days. And um, there was a doctor there who was trying to convince me that I tried to commit suicide. And I knew that I, that, that wouldn't happen. I, it didn't make sense to me. I have a son. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't try to kill myself because I just, whatever. So um, he wanted me to go see somebody and I went and saw somebody and, and uh, he wanted to know my story. And so I just completely let everything out. And he looks at me, he said, I'm really shocked that you haven't tried to kill yourself yet. I'm really shocked. But, you know, I, I couldn't do that. Not just for me, but for my son, I couldn't, I couldn't leave him like that. And, and, uh, that little boy, you know, he's not such a little boy now, but he saved me on so many levels. He did because when I felt like giving up, when I felt like I couldn't do it and, you know, he was right there to remind me that I could. So he helped me a lot more than he knew and that he knows today, you know, and so for so many years, it was just him and I, and Oh, I tell you what, when he left for the army, oh my gosh, I, it was like, I was in mourning again, all over again, but he, he was still, he's still alive. He's still here. He's, you know, but it's just being separated. It was, oh my gosh. Well, I think you horrible. have a, I think you have now a different framework for like absence, right? Yeah. Than, than most people do. Yeah. 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 And, you know, so with, um, when we moved here, I decided to, you know, maybe I should go and, and see a therapist and see, you know, and so they, they uh, said, I do have PTSD with all of the stuff that's happened to me. I do. And, um, it's not shocking that I was told that, but it, uh, it explains a lot of why I am the way I am or react a certain way, or, you know, I'm still paranoid with Bladen, with him being gone and, you know, not knowing if, if he's still okay, if he's, you know, 
when when somebody does something though i i'm that mother bear that wants to go and attack the person that how dare you talk to my son like that how dare you hurt him how, you know and Hopefully he's trying to tell you much about boot camp then um no no <laughs> He did. But, but the thing is, is that he wouldn't tell me on the phone. He would right. tell me in the letters because then he knew that, you know, um, that I'd be like, oh no, I'm calling somebody and I am going to you know, rip their head off. But he's, he's trying to get me to let go a little more. Mm-hmm. And now that the words of, I know mom, I'm an adult. I can make my own decisions. I know. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's here. The, the, one of the hardest things, you know, I, I, and I find myself, I have this conversation a lot with folks and, you know, one of the areas, so I don't, I don't do therapy anymore, but I do coaching now, but I still work with parents, right? I sort of always parenting. I wrote my, when I got my PhD, I wrote my dissertation on parenting, on fatherhood. And so um, one of the things that's really challenging and really difficult is, you know, our job as parents really is to give our kids what they need, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes what they need is security and safety and comfort. And sometimes what they need is discipline, you know, right. and a boot up their ass, so to speak. Right. Right? Um, but there comes a time, like for a big chunk of their life, what they need is safety right Uh, and that looks a lot of different ways right sometimes it looks like warmth and compassion and letting them know that mom's got them sometimes it looks like you know discipline and putting your foot down because now there's safety in the fact that you're running the show right Mm -hmm. um but eventually you get to a point where what they need is freedom right after you've been providing safety for almost two decades, mm-hmm. starting to pull that back and allow them to have freedom. And I think one of the most difficult things as parents is that our job, like this is why it's so important for parents to support each other and connect with each other and sort of be teammates, uh, not just within a family, but just in general, right? Is because our job is really like, it may be killing us, like crushing us to pull back and give them freedom. And part of our job is to manage that privately because it's not theirs, it's ours. Right. right. And so I think, you know, having a, a support network of people who have kids and, and sort of understand this is really important because, you know, if we want our kids to, to have it better than we did, if we want them to be resilient and healthy and strong and you know, we have to sort of provide what they need at these different developmental phases throughout their life. And eventually they get to a phase where they what they need, you know, they still probably, you know, he, he's 18, Layden? No, he's 19. 19, still, right? Until he's still. probably in his late 20s or something. He'll still need to know that, like, if if his life turns to shit, he can come home, right? And like- Oh yeah, he knows that. Right, right. Yeah. But, sure. right, but he needs to be like encouraged out to, you know- to I know, And that's know. so hard. So it, hard. it is, because our, our job is to prepare our children for adulthood. It's well, teach and then, them- And then push them into it, right? I, yeah, right. Yeah. But nobody, 
teaches the adults of what's going to happen, like their emotions of, of what they're going to go through when their child, you know, leaves. And some parents are so excited and they celebrate and that, you know, and, and I, it was just the complete opposite for me. And, well, but I'm, I'm fully, people have some combination, you know, right. Yeah. Right. I'm getting better. And, yeah. um, and Ruben's helped me with it a lot. And, um, you know, it's for so many years, it was me making all the decisions, not having to answer to anybody having to, you know, and now that I'm married, it's, it's, it's hard. Marriage is, it's hard. It's so, so hard. It's, it's not easy, but I wouldn't want to spend any, you know, my life without him. Yeah. And yeah. it's, I mean, he's, we help each other and, you know, in different ways. And, um, and he's, I, I'm the one in the relationship that stresses over everything. I do. I, I, and I overthink things and, you know, and he tries to bring me down to where, look, it's not that big of a deal. You know, let's just, let's just calm down, step back, you know, take a breath, rethink it. And, and, sounds um, like yeah. yeah, it sounds like, Ruben. um, but he's such a great man. And I, this is, I mean, with everything that we've gone through in the last couple of years that we've been with each other, it's one of the best, healthiest relationships I've ever been in. And, and I mean, I get along with his mother. I mean, (laughs) the mother-in-law, I love her. I do. I call her my mom and She's absolutely amazing. And, you know, he has a great family support and they've accepted me. And, and, uh, you know, I went and, and met them for the first time, like all of them um, for Thanksgiving. And it was, it was absolutely amazing. They're amazing people. But I mean, just this, this life that I have now, I never thought in a million years I would ever have the way that we met. It was, you know, on Facebook of all things, you know, where most people nowadays meet, but, um, you know, coming to your house and, and, uh, Mm -hmm. seeing him every day and, you know, getting to know you and and whatnot and, uh, you know, meeting your boys and it, it's just, it's a whole different life than I ever dreamed that I would ever have. And, you know, now I'm an, an army wife and army mom. And, you know, I, I really didn't know anything about the army. And I mean, now I have an army family and, um, it's, I mean, I'm thankful for where I'm at. I worked my ass off to get here and, um, went through complete hell, but we're here. And, you know, we bought our first home together and, and things are just, they're great. They really are. And so I, you know, with, with everything that you go through in life, there is a positive outcome. If you choose that you want that outcome, there is a positive one. And you can have the best life ever, regardless of what you've been through. And it's not that you 
you forget what you've been through. It just makes you stronger. And it's made me a completely stronger person. It's changed me, but I'm so much stronger because of it. Well, and I heard several things that you said that, you know, so first of all, let me say that, you know, I mean, of course, especially in, in social sciences, which are a little less exact than like um, what they call the hard sciences, right? Um, people don't exist in a Petri dish. We can't study them under a microscope. And, but, but so it's pretty common. It's not unusual for, you know, different therapists to have different opinions about the same kind of thing, right? Where it's really hard to predict. Um, and when it comes to things like violence, whether, whether it's violence toward other people or violence toward ourselves, like suicide, we're terrible predictors of violence. We're not, I mean, we do worse than chance, right? Even with all our fancy assessment tools and everything, um, psychologists are not good predictors of violence. Nobody is. And so, but I have a different reaction from the therapist you saw um, because I'm not surprised that you didn't kill yourself um, because it has less to do with what you've been through and more to do with who you are. You know, mm -hmm. um, I know people do, and I'm not trying to make light of it. It's a serious issue and a serious problem. And some people do, they get so overwhelmed by life's and, and some people have more struggles than others. And, you know, it's not about judging it at all. It's just, um, you know, you've done things along the way somehow, you know, somehow intuitively or through sheer grit or something, you know, you, you made meaning out of adversity, right? You made meaning out of um, loss. You made meaning out of abuse, you know, you made right. meaning out of, um, you practice gratitude, you know, you find even in the worst shit storms, you find reasons to be grateful and, and to be clear for what that means for most people. Like, that's not a silver lining, right? That's not sunshine and rainbows. It's not pretending that the, the real shit you're dealing with isn't there. It's just recognizing that the, the awful things are there mm -hmm. and also the reasons to have gratitude. They both exist. Right. right. And so it's not about one canceling out the other. It's just about having a balanced picture, no matter, no matter how shitty things get, there are reasons to be grateful, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, there were moments, times where you talked about having self-compassion, right? Just get, like you brutal on yourself for a while and then you just kind of give yourself a break and treat yourself like a human being. And so, you know, you know I, I looked at death completely different after incident with my son and you know I was a CNA for 11 years I took care of people and I did a lot of hospice and so it, it made me look at what they were about to go through completely different and you know when I when I worked in um, a nursing home we would have a lot of family members that would bring their loved ones in there and just leave them there and they would end up dying alone and I I couldn't imagine that, like, no one should have to go through that, you know? So uh, 
I would go into their rooms and I would close the door and I would sing to them. Mm. And just, and I knew that they, I mean, they weren't awake and, you know, they couldn't talk to you, but they could hear me. And I knew that they could hear me. So it was, I just wanted them to know that somebody did care and somebody was there. And um, so it, you know, like I, like I said, it, it changes every aspect of you and you have more compassion for other people. And, you know, so when I, when I hear about, um, you know, stuff on the news and, you know, what these children have to go through, it just infuriates me because I didn't have that choice with, with my son and these people have choices and it just, it really just ticks me off. It really, really does. I had a similar reaction. So, I mean, I had a, an experience of profound loss too, when I was little, you know, when I was seven, my mother died. And like, I remember being a teenager and hearing kids just be awful to their mothers. Right. And like, man, you don't know how lucky you are. Like, and then right. there's, there's a part of, you know, I didn't get it back then, but now, right? Back then I was just disgusted. I was like, I don't know how you can talk to your mother that way. Like, you know, you, you have no idea. Like, you know, let her, let her die tonight and you will beg for an opportunity to apologize, right? Um, now, as an adult, right, as somebody who's almost 50, I look back and I, I have sort of both reactions. When I hear kids mouthing off to their moms on the one hand, part of the reaction is like, you have no idea like how lucky you are. And then there's another part of me that's like, I'm kind of glad you have no idea. Right. Right. Like, like it hurts me to hear you take this person for granted because they could disappear like that. But I'm also glad that you don't have that terrible knowledge. You know, no, my, thankfully, my mother's still here. And I mean, we haven't had the best relationship. I mean, it's still, a, I, I have, I have a lot of hurt um, that I just can't seem to let go with, with my mother. Um, but I love her more than anything. And if she needed something, I'm right there, you know, all the time with, you know, any legal stuff, just because, you know, I work for a law firm. So anything that's legal, she comes to me with, and I help her. Um, but the thought of losing her, I, I just, I can't, I can't even imagine it. But my father, on the other hand, you know, he accused me of killing my son and um, he made a comment to me, you know, at least this one got away from you. And I, and it, it was after a conversation that like his, so he got another male order bride. He, he likes these, you know, these Filipino women. And she had contacted me asking me, you know, why none of us kids have anything to do with him. So I proceeded to tell her he found out. And so he lashed out at me. And, you know, after he said what he said, I, I said, uh, you know, you are going to die a very lonely death. 
when you die, there's not going to be anyone around you. None of your kids will be there. I mean, you're just, it's, and it's what you deserve because of what you've done. And so then I get a phone call and um, he said, he says, Rebecca, he said, what? He said, this is your father. Okay, what? He said, I think I'm having a heart attack. And I says, well, what the hell do you want me to do with it? And mind you, he never, the state of Utah, um, you know, Utah is such a great state, right? Uh, they gave him a plea deal, leave the state of Utah and not come back and you won't go to prison. So he left, went to South Carolina and worked for a girl's home. Mm. And, you know, it was just, just a horrible, horrible thing. But um, he says, I think I'm having a heart attack. I says, what do you, what do you want me to do? go to the hospital. You know, I, I'm in Utah. I can't do nothing for you. So, you know, um, a couple of days later, I get a phone call and I have an, an older half sister that is, you know, spit an image of him and we don't have a relationship at all, but she told me that he died. And, um, and that he had died on the side of the road in his truck. And I didn't have any emotion, none, because to me, he was someone that I used to know. And um, she had, you know, cremated him, whatnot, and his, you know, she sent some of his ashes home. And and I personally, and this may sound like a shitty thing to do, I wanted to flush him down the toilet. I did, because to me, that's where he belonged. Was down the toilet and I I have no feeling towards that man at all whatsoever except that he's probably where he should be and and he died exactly the way I told him he was going to die and and I I just I don't feel bad because of all of the hell that he put us through I mean this this man made my brother live out in a shed with no electricity, no nothing, just a bed. And, you know, when he didn't do something right, um, he wouldn't let him come in the house and eat. And he would stand outside looking through the window at us. And it completely broke my heart looking at my brother like this. And I mean, he was just not a good man at all whatsoever and so I just I have no feelings towards him I don't and, and I you know it's probably normal for that to happen um but you know my mother I I love that woman and would do anything for her and uh I know that day is going to come but hopefully it doesn't come anytime soon because yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you and I have had the the opposite right. reactions because I've lost I lost a mother early on in my life and I spent my adulthood terrified with my children, you know, because mm -hmm. you know, like it's it's terrible knowledge to know how badly that can hurt. And yet, like, you know, the craziest experiences after after you suffer like that sun just comes up the next day and people open their businesses and like everything just keeps going right like right right 
I don't, I don't ever think of him unless he comes up in a conversation or, um, you know, something just pops my, but I really, I just, I don't, and I don't care to, um, and he just, he doesn't deserve that for me at all, but I'm, you know, I, I am thankful that I do have one parent here and that, um, you know, she, she just, uh, I helped her with all this legal stuff. She just adopted my uh, two nephews and my niece. Mm. And um, yesterday, as a matter of fact, and, you know, she had called me when I was at work, like video time me on Facebook. And, and she's like, I just want you to know. And I was just, I was looking at her and I could see her tear up and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm at work. Here we go. We're going to start crying. And I'm like, oh, please. And so I go out in the waiting room and I'm just sitting there and, and, you know, she's thanked me before for doing stuff for her, but the way that she did it this time was completely different um, than any other time. And I really felt appreciated by my mother. And that's something that, I mean, I've wanted from her for so long, but just appreciate that I'm your daughter, that I'm here, that, I, that I'll help you, that I'll, you know, I just, no matter what. And we went through a time where we didn't talk for months and months and months. And I was so mad at her because she, she didn't call on Casey's birthday. She didn't call on the day that he passed. She didn't, you know, and everything she was missing. And so I had more anger towards her and, um, you know, and we didn't talk up until when Bladen left because Bladen then said, my mom is going to need you. So you might want to just call her and talk to her. And, you know, my sister Anna called me and, and, uh, just to see how I was doing. And of course I was an emotional mess and I was just breaking down. And, and then she said, mom wants to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. So the moment she got on her, on the phone and I hadn't talked to her, or seen her in months. I just, I broke down <laughs> because it made me realize how much I really missed my mother, yeah. you know? So it's, it's still a, a working progress. No relationship is, is perfect, regardless of, you know, whether it's marriage or no. a, a relationship between you and your parent or siblings and whatnot. Um, you know, I don't have the greatest relationship with my siblings, um, except one sister that I talk to all the time. Um, her name's Kathleen, and I, you know, um, but it's, it's a lot harder too that I'm here in Wisconsin mm-hmm. and they're in Utah yeah. and I'm missing all of these family get togethers, all the family functions, all the, you know, um, school plays, everything that I would attend to the birthday parties. And, and I only get to see it on live on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's just, it's heartbreaking, yeah. but I still wouldn't trade my life for it right. because I love where I'm at. Everything comes at a cost, right? Everything does. Everything, Everything does. comes at a cost. And but so, you know, I I just I tell you, I have the most wonderful husband, as you all know. I really, really do, yeah. and I'm so thankful for him because 
as much as I have helped him, he has helped me. Yeah. He really has. And um, he helps me every day, even if he doesn't know it. And I appreciate that man. I mean, this man cooks me dinner almost every night and just says, go, you know, go really, because I work my ass out at that gym. I'm telling you, <laughs> I, I run it all the time and I'm, I'm walking crippled today because I'm so sore. And, and no matter what it is, it's, he's always there. And I know that regardless of who is in my life, he is the one person that I can always turn to the one person I can always count on, depend on just, yeah. you know, for any kind of support, he's there. Yeah. And a house on him. the what I said, you could build a house on him. Absolutely. A solid Absolutely. foundation. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. He's I I've never met anyone quite like him. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad I held on to him when I did. Yes. And, uh, you know, so everything's turned out the way it's supposed to, yeah. I feel. Still and turning out, right? Still going. It's, Not done yet. No, no. We'll be here for at least uh, four more years and then. In Minnesota, yeah. And well, in Wisconsin. Oh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, yeah. And then we're going to move to um, Arkansas mm -hmm. to be closer to his family. And, uh, you know, we were uh, going to move to Utah, but then. When I went to Arkansas, I was like, okay, we can do this. We can do this here. Like it did. It really, really did. And, yeah. but we'll see how things turn out. But for now, it's one day at a time. Okay. And well, it can be, right? It's all you, each all, each all the universe gives you is a day at a time. I know. So, so but, yep. Well, you, you know, I, I, want to stay aware of our of our time and be respectful of your time but i i do i will say you said something a, a ways back that hit me as like it was this you know one little statement you made but it made me think like it was evidence of a turning point and it was when you were talking about blading going to the army and yeah. you said you were, well, it was, you know, you were talking about raising him and being a single mom and all you did was work and you drive Uber and you drive Lyft and you, right. All you do was work, 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 work so that you could try to provide for him. Right. And you said, now you look back and you wonder if it was really worth it because you missed right. so much. And that to me sounded like a turning point because when you're in survival mode, and you're just like every day you're just fighting with all you got to just hold shit together. You don't get to wonder stuff like that. Right. Right. The ability to wonder whether you're making the right choice or not is actually a privilege. And it only comes when things have chilled out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Right. When you're, you know, when the gazelle, like when the lion pounces and the gazelle has to run, he doesn't get to wonder whether he ran in the right direction or the wrong direction. Right. He just fucking runs. Right. Like, Right. And so if you're wondering, like, hmm, I wonder if that was the right thing to do. In fact, in, in Judaism, there's a saying that says, if you're wondering which one's the right path to be on, you're on it. Right. <laughs> right. So to me, like, it may not have sounded like much to you, but I heard that statement and it sounded like things must be better if you're able to wonder, you know? You know, he, after I wrote that letter, he, he wrote me back. 
And um, <laughs> he told me that he could not have made it without me, that he would not be where he is at without me because of what I did for him. And, you know, I, when we bought our first house, it wasn't the most fancy house, but it was ours. It was our home. And, you know, I would go pick him up at his friend's house and it was this big fancy house. And I, you know, I would tell him, I'm sorry that I can't give this to you. Or I'm sorry that you don't have a dad or I'm sorry. And he, he says, you know what, mom? He says, I love our life. I love what you were able to provide for us. And it's okay if I don't have a dad, I have a mom. And, you know, that's badass because I was to every, he was in JROTC. I was to every event I was there, every single one. And I was sharing a mom. I was going to, you know, I was a booster mom and car washes, everything. And, you know, so in these letters, we were talking about it and it, it just, it really hit me that, you know, when he told me how much he appreciated me and that he admitted to, you know, there were certain times in his life that he took advantage of me. And, um, and Ruben, you know, made the comment about it. And I was just like, no, not my son. My son wouldn't do that. And, you know, and when he finally admitted that to me, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I've, I haven't seen, you know, but he, I, this whole experience with him being gone is just, it's, it's a learning point for me being without him now, and it still is, but it makes us appreciate our relationship more that he still knows that even though he's currently in Fort Benning, still stuck there waiting to go to Fort Hood, you know, um, that he's been there for almost a month waiting to go, that that he can still call home, he can still call me, that, I, that I'll be there. And if something needs to be fixed, I'll fix it. And, you know, I'm I'm always on it. But we, I think he, he sees me completely differently now that, you know, yeah, she's my mom. And, you know, if I, if I fuck up, she's there and, you know, whatnot. But it's that she's always going to be there no matter what, no matter what. And so it's made us stronger. And um, I love that kid. And I know that he loves me. And, you know, so it's our, our relationship is good. That's good. It is. That's so good. the dating, on the other hand, I, um, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm having a hard time with that one. <laughs> well, that'll be your next. Your oh, next. The climb, yeah. If he continued yeah. on that one. Yeah, well, we'll have to follow up again and see how that's going. Right? So, <laughs> so there you go. It's quite a story you've got. Yeah, that's, you know, that's just kind of the gist of it. There's. I'm sure. I, I'm, I could write a book. I yeah. literally could. Yeah. But I'm thankful for my life and for who is in my life and for where I'm at. I'm there's a lot to be thankful for, regardless of all of the negativity that's been in my life, all the horrible things that have happened. I'm truly thankful and blessed for where I'm at. Yeah. Well, I'm so. glad for where you're at too. Thank you. Know, you. I feel like I, you know, um, I got to be a very, very small part of the story, but 
it was a privilege right. to, be, to be part of it you know so hey it was always a fun time coming to your house and you know <laughs> <laughs> it really was I, I look forward to it every day so good i'm glad well listen before we we kind of wrap up i wanted to check in and see if there was any any last kind of thoughts or ideas or things you wanted to make sure we hit on or that you made sure you said um you know just to anyone who may be watching or listening um no matter how things how hard things make it don't give up don't give up just keep pushing through and it's easier said than done. And at that very moment, you may not see that that to be true, but just keep pushing. And I promise um, it will get better. And you will see that light at the end of the tunnel, so they say. And, you know, things will start looking up for you. Yeah. And I'll leave it at that. That's great. There's there's a famous story that I, I'm not even going to try because I'll mangle it, but about a guy walking through the woods with, you know, I don't know, an elder or something or a spirit guide or whatever. And it's dark and he can't see the path, right? And he doesn't know where the path is leading. And so he tells the spirit guide, you know, I'm, I, I don't know, I can't, I, we, I have to quit. I have to stop. I can't, it's too dark and I can't see and I don't know where the path is taking me. The spirit guide says, well, can you see the next step? And he says, well, yeah, I can see the next step. And the spirit guide says, we'll take that one. Right. So right. And then you'll see this step after that. That's right. Just keep going and don't stop. So uh, thank you so much for investing some time and coming on and telling your story. Um, what I want to say to so first of all, not just thank you, Rebecca, but also thank you to everyone who watches or listens to this podcast. I appreciate you more than you know, your time is a valuable commodity. And I try to make sure that we're, we're providing value in what we, what we offer here. So um, you can watch the podcast on YouTube. Uh, the site on YouTube is Growth and Thriving LLC. Um, or you can search Growth and Thriving Podcast on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or on Google Podcasts. Uh, that will be the audio version only. Um, please, by all means, leave a comment, like, uh, and if you like the content, please subscribe. Uh, let us know. You can find us on Facebook. We have uh, three Facebook community groups. One is called Growth and Thriving After Trauma. Uh, one is called Thriving Fathers, Parenting After Trauma. And the third is um, Leadership Skills for Survivors. Uh, Rebecca is connected through at least Growth and Thriving After Trauma, right? You're in that group. Yeah. So uh, if you have questions or comments or would like to reach out to Rebecca in some way, um, she's you know, not a, a helper or somebody out there. So if you message me or message me through those groups on Facebook or through YouTube or whatever, I will pass messages along to her and uh, have no doubt that she will get back to you. So again, thank you everyone so much for your time. Thank you, Rebecca. And yeah. for the moment, uh, we'll sign off. It's Dr. Jerry Sunshine Novak saying, keep growing until you're thriving. <laughs>